faith today. So last week, Craig opened with a question. What do you preach on when you have planted and led a church for 37 years and announce that you'll be transitioning on to something else in a year or so? So my question today is, what do you do when you preach as a co-pastor the week after your friend and colleague, the founding pastor, says he's moving on in a year or so? Especially when you know that you're three months older than he is. <laughs> well, many have been wondering about where I fit into this transition that faith is about to experience. So let me share two things very briefly, and then we'll continue with our, our message. First, because the health of faith is important to us, I will be continuing to serve as Craig's, after Craig's departure. Uh, we, we as a session, we as a session believe that continuity between Craig and the next senior pastor is essential. We certainly want to see Baltimore Antioch Leadership Movement succeed as a Presbytery initiative, but faith for Craig and myself are the priority still right now. And, and secondly, is, is after this next senior pastor settles down, whenever that is, and, and when Baltimore Antioch, Antioch Leadership Movement gets going, we will then address the timing of my transition to work at Baum with Craig. That's the plan to work, for us to work alongside one another. He's jumping off first. I'm going to jump off second. But until then, I'm here. And we, we will address more of these, the details of all that, the, the, that on, on Wednesday at that, per, that uh, congregational meeting that you heard about in the announcement. So hint, hint, please be there and, and, and uh, be there to hear more about these details. But today, it's as usual, my privilege to share God's word, my privilege and responsibility to do what we always want to do, preach the word of God for the people of God. And I've chosen the last portion of the passage that he chose. That's a very basic passage. In fact, I preached this passage a couple years ago. And you, can, you can look online and find, and find the, the, the exposition of that passage. Th this will be a little different than the normal sermon where we take a passage and do exposition. We exposit or explain the meaning and application of a passage. That's, that's a normal what we give you in our church. Um, to apply the key points. But by, by the way, we believe that expositional preaching, preaching that comes out of the text, should be the main diet of a church that seeks to be faithful to God's word. But occasionally there's a time for what we call a textual sermon where we dive in on, on less than a passage, maybe less than a verse. And that's what we're doing today. We're diving in on a word, on a couple words. <laughs> um, we're diving in on the idea in a few minutes of the apostles' teaching. I believe we need, all, we need to all pause at this moment and remember that the church must never be too dependent on human leaders. Now, we say all the time that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. He's the head of the body. He's building his church. The gates of hell, of hell can't prevail against him despite us. How do we as frail human leaders guide God's church? When we don't have a literal Jesus in front of us guiding us like the apostles had in the Gospels. Well, we look to what the passage today is calling the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching. 
And, and we find these apostolic teachings in the written, objective word, the Scriptures, which revealed the mind and the heart of God to us. Let's look at the passage. We'll look at this whole passage, and we'll focus on, like I said, verse 42. But let's start at verse 37 and move to 47 in this Acts chapter 2. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far, who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Amen. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. My title is The Apostles' Teaching. The Apostles' Teaching. You know, a key source of growth towards maturity in Christ is devotion to the apostles' teaching, God's holy word. I want to focus on that idea of devotion to the scriptures, devotion to the word of God. In, in light of this new season at our church, it's crucial that we all see the importance of linking ourselves regularly to and reminding ourselves regularly of the historic teachings of God's perfect inerrant word, in Acts 2.42, we see there's four things that they commit themselves to. Look at Acts 2.42. Look at that verse. They, and the they is the 3,120 people that were part of the Jerusalem church. There were 120 in chapter 1. Chapter 2, the Spirit falls, and, and 3,000, it tells us, came to know Christ. So 3,120 people comprising of the church in Jerusalem, they devoted themselves to four things. The apostles' teaching. We'll come back to that. Secondly is the fellowship. And there's an article before. The. Their relationships with one another. Fellowship. Koinonia. Bound by covenant love to one another. To, to love each other. Admonish one another. Edify one another. Forbear one another. Forgive each other. Wash one another's feet. All those one another's of the New Testament, they they, they committed themselves to those kind of things, that kind of lifestyle, those, that kind of relationship as Christ had modeled for the disciples during those three years how to care for each other. The, they, commit, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And again, it's the. Later, there's a breaking of bread in their homes, but this is the breaking of bread. This is the Lord's table. This is the worship regularly at the Lord's table, where they focused on the death of Christ for them. They regularly focused on They regularly worshipped him in the context of 
the fact that the middle wall of partition was broken down because he, they could have access to the throne of God. God could hear their prayers, bold access, because of the cross. And they could pray and they could worship the Lord God through Jesus. The breaking of bread, they enjoyed that together. And the fourth one is the prayers. Again, the prayers. They talked to God individually. They talked to God in their families. They talked to God in their house fellowship gatherings. They talked to God in the temple courts and in, and in, the, in the synagogue, the messianic synagogues that existed that were building, growing in, in Jerusalem. They, they had the prayers. Th those four things were foundational elements of their life together. Now, now I want to focus on four things when we think about the, this first one, the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching. One, what is meant by this phrase, apostles' teaching? We'll look at that. Secondly, why is devotion to it important? Third, where do we foster that kind of devotion in our congregation, Faith Christian Fellowship? And fourthly, what should happen when we're really devoted to the apostles' teaching? And we'll look there at verses 43 to 47 briefly. First, what is meant by this term, the apostles' teaching? Verses 42. Longnecker says that the, the verb translated devoted is a, is a common one that connotes a steadfast and single-minded fidelity to a certain course of action. Luke uses it elsewhere in Acts to characterize the devotion of the 120 in the upper room to prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer, chapter 1. And the apostles resolved in the matter of the Hellenistic widows to center their attention on prayer in the ministry of the Word. Chapter, four, chapter 6, verse 4. They devoted themselves to the Word in prayer, it says there. So Longnecker says that the apostles' teaching refers to a, a body of material considered authoritative because it was the message about Jesus of Nazareth proclaimed by accredited apostles. It undoubtedly included a, co a compilation of the words of Jesus, some account of his earthly ministry, his passion, his resurrection, and a declaration of what all that meant for man's redemption, all of which was thought of in terms of Christian tradition that could be passed on to others. So the apostles' teaching, this Christian tradition that was passed on now, if you notice in the list of four, one of them, the first one, is this the one the apostles teach? It's first. I don't think that's by accident. I've thought a lot about that. The other three are, are very important, but here's something to think about. Scripture, the apostles teaching, Scripture shows us how to do the other three correctly. Let's look, about, let's look at that a little bit. Scripture shows us how to love each other, how to relate, how to have authentic, genuine fellowship with one another. Scripture shows us that. You don't have to guess. Scripture shows us how to understand the cross of Christ and the sacraments we're celebrating, how to, how to, how to worship in the context of, of not just uh, rabbinic Judaism, but Christian, messianic Juda uh, 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 Christianity. The Scriptures show us that. And Scripture gives us many, many examples of how to talk to God, how to communicate with God so that we know how to talk to our Father. It models healthy prayer for us. Even in the Gospels, the, the apostles went to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us how to pray, and we have that. Scripture is absolute foundational to the other three. That's why it's first. This phrase not only points to the method of their teaching, but the content of what was taught. What did they teach? How do we get, how do we understand what they taught? How do we get at that? the apostolic teachings. Well, 
we see those teachings clearly for us in the Scriptures. We see that in, in, here in this, this Sermon of Acts. If we look earlier in chapter 2 of Acts, Paul, P, Peter preached. Um, he used three Old Testament passages. The first is the prophet Joel. That's the one that Craig uh, quoted last week, used last week in his sermon. But he also cites Psalm 16 and Psalm 110 in, in, in his message. So Peter used the Old Testament Scripture. And we also see the apostolic teaching in the letters that they wrote in the New Testament. We have those recorded for us. We know that after spending several years with Jesus, after the resurrection, they had had another 40 days of instruction from Jesus. Think about that. Think about that. Maybe he taught, he maybe he took them um, through the same thing it says in Luke chapter 24, the Emmaus Road, the two disciples that on, on Easter evening, Jesus gave them the, he took them through the, the law and the prophets and the Psalms, it tells us. And then they've been, they, they, at, the, at, the, at, at supper, they realized that it was actually Jesus. They didn't know it was Jesus. Jesus gave them a Bible study in the Old Testament. Well, maybe he spent 40 days unlocking that for the, the apostles. Maybe that's why we have them what we have from them. He taught them the scriptures. Bottom line is the church of Jesus Christ is founded, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, upon the prophets and the apostles. The prophets of the Old Testament, the prophets of the, New, the apostles of the New Testament, the Word of God. John Stott says it's not enough to proclaim Jesus, for there are many different Jesuses being presented today. The apostles told the story of Jesus at three levels as historical event witnessed by their own eyes, as having theological significance interpreted in Scripture and as contemporary, confronting men and women with the necessity of decision. And we have the same responsibility today to tell the story of Jesus as fact, as doctrine, and as gospel. That's right. The early church created a creed that summarized liturgically these teachings, of the, the apostles' teachings. It's called the Apostles' Creed. Many of you probably have, have, know, have heard of it, or even some of you maybe memorized it. The, the early church recited it, and... Uh, and maybe you have done that. Maybe I'm going to try to, to, to read it right now. I want you to just look at the structure of it. Notice that it's Trinitarian. It's three paragraphs there. You can still see very clearly. The first paragraph is, I believe in God, the Father, the maker of heaven and earth. Okay? God, he's created. The second paragraph, notice how big it is. It's about Jesus. Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Virgin by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried, descended into hell. Third day he rose again from the dead, descended into the heavens, and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence, from there, he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. The middle paragraph is about Jesus Christ. It's the gospel. That's his life, his death, his resurrection, his being seated in the right hand, exalted. And I believe in the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, the Holy Christian Church. Catholic Church, Apostolic Church, whichever phrase you use there, that adjective. The communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, the life everlasting. Amen. A Trinitarian creed that picks up the apostles' teaching from the first century, the apostles of Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never seen that, never heard that. Memorize it. Go Google it. Memorize it. It's a great summary of what the Christian church has believed through the centuries and that we affirm as God's holy truth. Study it. Think about it. Memorize it. It's a great summary of 
Orthodox teaching. Now, the second thing, the second question we have today is, why is it so important to be devoted to, the, to this apostle teaching? Why, why is it important? We've already talked about it a little bit, but let's, let's jump back to the, the chapter a little bit more. Ba- back in the beginning of the chapter, this chapter began, the Spirit of God falls early in the chapter, and the, the, the 100 people, people are, are, they receive the gift of languages, and they go and proclaim in various languages uh, of the people who were there gathered in Jerusalem. They, 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 they share the gospel and the, the praises of God to all the different people there. There's this total chaos and confusion in one sense that follow that. Uh, and, and, and then a, a transformed Peter preaches a life-transforming sermon. The same Peter who <laughs> betrayed Jesus and all that, denied Jesus, rather, is now proclaiming Jesus. And he connects, what he does in that, passage, in that sermon is he connects the experience, as Craig said last week, that of, of the languages with the Old Testament prediction of the prophet Joel that in the last days, spectacular signs were going to start happening. Okay? That would be a sign. Spectacular things would happen to us in these last days. The last days are here. John Stott reminds us that, that we should take note that a 120 had just had a very, very personal moving experience of speaking in languages and as a result they had seen in one day literally thousands respond to the message of Christ and I'm sure they were very very excited and they want to see more and more people come to know Jesus in Jerusalem and yet follow this they did not schedule meetings where they might again seek to have a wonderful personal mystical experience with God assuming that it was normative universal and essential. No, rather, they set up meetings where they might simply listen to the apostles of Jesus explain this newfound faith to them. Yes, they had embraced the Spirit who had embraced them, but they also embraced the Word, Spirit and Word. Remember John 4, Jesus goes to the woman at the well, Samaritan woman, and says, uh, the time is coming when there'd be a folk who would worship God in spirit and in truth. That time had come. That time had come. So they did not let their experience of the Holy Spirit keep them from listening and submitting to the word of God from God's chosen communicators. We must heed that in our day, folks. We live in a day when people think that truth is grounded in personal experience and personal feelings rather than truth being grounded in historical provable facts and a written record of publicly substantiated events. People need objective understanding of their subjective experiences and that's what Peter had done and that's what we need to still do for people. Peter used Joel 2, Psalm 16, and Psalm 110 in his message. And this is an example of how we're to preach. We're to use God's word. He uses scripture to explain experience. We do not, listen, we, we do not innately understand God ourselves, our circumstances, our world. We don't. We need God to inform us. We must be taught by God through his holy word. There's a real movement building in our church, of, of, in, our, in our world, excuse me, of, of spiritism, of spiritualism, where people 
want to connect with God apart from the objective word of God. Very dangerous. Uh, where I live, uh, we live in uh, the uh, Northern Parkway area, near Pimlico, above there. But there's a building that's been there for years that is now for sale. It's called, it used to be uh, the place where you could go to, hear, to get your um, spiritual insights from Sister Faye. That was her name, Sister Faye. And uh, it was, she was a spiritualist, a spiritual psychic. She said, spiritual healing and advisor. There's a phone number. What, what the, the building's now for sale. I, I don't know what happened. I don't know if Sister Faye didn't get enough business or if she's dead. I have no idea. But I noticed that Sister Faye's building is for sale, and I'm very glad. Because it's the, this, the movement of spiritism, this mystical movement, is not a movement of the Word of God. And we need to be careful and cautious of anyone who would give spiritual advice but would not believe in the Word of God. And uh, clearly, that spiritualist mo uh, uh, movement was, was, and we're glad it's gone. In fact, uh, this week I noticed that George Barna, the Christian who does a lot of polling, polling data for Christians, um, he's at another, a, a category in his polling data of, uh, of, of spiritual but not religious. Because there's so many people in our world today who do not want to be connected to any kind of orthodox, traditional, classical understanding of, 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 of the church or Christian doctrine, but they say, I'm spiritual. Now, how do they get their insights from God? I don't know. But there's, there, there are enough in our world, growing in our world, that, that there's now a category <laughs> for that in the realm of those who study Christian religions. In our day, there are many who unfortunately reject orthodox faith and, 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 and they fall away, following a false Jesus and uh, a false understanding of Jesus' work. We see an assault on the person of Christ, on his birth by a virgin, his, uh, his identity as the, the unique God-man. We see an assault on the historic cross of Christ, his work on the cross, his, his resurrection. The, the, the cross was an ugly event, wasn't it? It was a, a messy, painful agonizing death. It was capital punishment. It carried maximum public shame. Jesus died naked on a cross. Horrible. And, and some stumble over it. Some scholars call the cross cosmic child abuse. They say, how can you believe in a God who would do that to his son? Well, those who believe in that cross know that as ugly as it was, it's because our sin is ugly. And that in that cross, as Corinthians says, we see vividly the power of salvation and the depth of God's love for us. I was crucified with Christ. It's what every believer can say. To those who believe, we know the cross was the power of salvation. You know, the scriptures say in John, greater love has no man than this, that he, that he laid down his life for his friends. You know, the, the God-man, Jesus Christ, died not for his friends, but for his enemies. Romans 5 tells us that. We were dead in our trespasses. And we, were, we were not seeking God. We were not his friends. We were his enemies, it says there, and yet he died for us. We believe the cross worked. The cross was effective. Christ died to bring his people to God, to purchase a people for his Father, a people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And we proclaim that message. And sadly, all will not come. 
But the cross, this ugly cross, was totally successful. He didn't fail. Now, how do we know that? How do we know that? How can we say that with such confidence? Because we see it clearly in the scriptures, in the teaching of the apostles. We see an assault on the person of Christ, on, on the, the historic cross of Christ, and we see an assault on, on the current and the future reign of Christ as King and Lord. He alone reigns with the Father. He has no rivals. He is the Savior of the world. There's no name like his name. As the apostles proclaimed to the Roman world, we must proclaim to our world that name. In times past, Acts 17, God overlooked mankind's spiritual ignorance, but now God commands all men everywhere to repent because he reigns over all, and indeed he will come back to judge the living and the dead. The point is simply this. How do we keep from wrong understandings of faith, of the world, of ourselves? By looking at the objective standard from heaven that we have by being devoted to Scripture. Thirdly, where, where do we foster that kind of devotion in our congregation? Where do we see that happening? Well, first of all, it's right here. It's the pulpit. It's the, it's the preaching weekly of God's Word where we seek to... Here's what we try... Here I'm going to tell you what we try to do here to, 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 show, to be devoted to the Scriptures as a congregation. And first is the preaching of, his, of, of the Word. It's, it's a decorative exhortation of a text of Scripture. Pointing here is to follow Christ, to understand it and follow Christ because of it. Calling people to see Christ as only hope in life and in death. Reminding us that it is His grace that keeps us, that motivates us, that equips us, that empowers us, that guides us. And here is where, the, this is the heart of the church, where our hearts need to be drawn to want to follow Jesus Christ more faithfully. You know, in, in a book, uh, Christian Smith, the book, uh, book is called Souls in Transition, The Religious and Spiritual Lives of Emerging Adults. <clears throat> Smith asserts that rather than biblical preaching, many American church uh, embrace a Christianity that's actually uh, moralistic. It's moral preaching. Moral therapeutic deism is the result. A, a, an understanding of Christianity that, that is it's a system of morals, uh, a religion that's behavior-based, where we seek to be moral and therefore earn favor with God by our deeds. It's therapeutic, moral therapeutic. Um, it's a religion that seeks to, to mostly satisfy me and my needs, my psychological needs, to make me feel better. And it's deism. It's an embracing of, 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 a, of a general kind of a God who's impersonal, not the, not the personal God that we see in Jesus Christ. Moralistic, therapeutic deism. Sadly, many who use the scriptures, preach the scriptures from that sort of a framework rather than a framework that is gospel-oriented, a, a, a framework that, 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 that understands that Christ is the key to scripture. It all points to him. At least from him. At faith, and so we, we, we want to do that. At faith, we also want to seek to proclaim the full counsel of God. Acts chapter 20 talks about that. The full counsel of God, Paul. Um, we start each year, by the way, um, uh, with one of the four Gospels or the, or the book of Acts. Uh, kind of a, we cycle that through every five years. We'll come back. Um, this year, our book was Matthew. You might have noticed from January to, to Easter, we, we, we had sermons from Matthew. During the year, we also look at, a, at selected larger portions of books, portions of large books, and we also look at, we might look at a small, smaller book in its totality to get a sense of how to look at a book. 
We start to look at the Old Testament and the New Testament. We preach on the whole counsel of God. We look at the prophets, the wisdom books, the historical books, the letters. Over, over a, a course of a few years, you'll get it all. Uh, the whole counsel of God. We take a month to focus on prayer in, in the summer. This summer, we're going to look at Ephesians, the prayers in Ephesians. During December, we look at the, the, the advent of Christ. We believe the pulpit sets the pace. We want to be people who believe the whole scriptures and embrace all of the scriptures. The pulpit is the heart. Then, secondly, there's a teaching ministry of the church. The teaching ministry. This is more the head. Uh, we, we teach the word in various contexts in our congregation. It really, really should begin in our families as we, in our families, sit around and, and, and instruct our children. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Um, in our church, we have uh, soul food as a, an adult uh, experience. We have the, the Sunday school for the various youth and children and, and, and Sunday school experiences. Uh, teachers who come prepared to pass on the truths of God. Those contexts are more explaining the text with dialogue for understanding. There's more, there's different than a sermon, there's more time for feedback and instruction and for questions in those teaching moments. And we have, of course, various age and stage discipleship kind of arenas as well. We have a women's group. The women are way at the retreat right now. We have men's ministries. We have a youth, children's ministries. We have various things. We have have seminars and workshops occasionally that you'll be here that you hear about. Th those are all areas where we can teach the word, so we can learn, so we can grow in understanding of God's word. We, we also have we have Lamp Seminary, we have a, which is an equipping of leaders for gospel ministry. Some of the deeper theological things go on there, as well as ministry preparation. So we teach the word in various contexts. Another context that I don't want to forget is is it just out in the community. We. The Word of God, the, the community needs the Word of God. Maybe we're a little bit weaker here, but, you know, we need to be having experiences of, of, of on the job or at school or, or in the workplace or in the neighborhood, opening up the Scriptures with, with those who, who aren't as, 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 don't know the Scriptures as well, but are hungry to know more about God. We need to be those who are helping others throughout the week get to know God through His Word. Thirdly, is there's the, um, the ministry of community groups. I mean, it's a part of, of community groups in our church, small group life together. This is what I would call the hands. This is where we begin to, to really get to know each other hand and, and, and service uh, to one another. So I call this the hands of the church. This is applying the truth of, to life. Our community groups, study, Bible studies portions should be very practical, I believe. Um, we, 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 we're, we are to understand God's word and then think through how to obey what the word is saying to us together. We're not just there to share our opinions. Yeah, opinions are important, but let's, 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 let's dig in and decide, okay, what, is, what's, what are some simple things that the text is telling us as a community group, and then what, what, what is God saying to us as a group? Do that in your group. Keep it, keep it simple, keep it practical. Don't get hung up on trying to go into the super deep theological implications of every passage. Don't do that. That's not the role. Again, Paul in Acts 20, he says he went from house to house giving them God's truth. There's another kind of teaching that goes on in the church that we often ignore, often forget. This is one-on-one. -on -one. This is how we teach one another, one-on-one, -on -one. in those informal settings. It can happen in a car. It can happen in, a, in the hallway. It can happen over a telephone. It can even happen over the Internet. But there's one-on-one -on -one communication as we teach one 
another. And this is like, in the body, this is like the, 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 the invisible, the internal connective system of the body. But, 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 but it, it, we see that, and don't, don't miss that. Don't miss that. that. There's teaching that goes on as we relate to one another. Ephesians 4, that passage, Paul talks about the healthy body. He talks about this healthy body that grows because of the internal things that are going on well. So then the last thing is what happens as a result. What, 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 when we're devoted to the scriptures, to the teaching of the apostles, what are the results? Well, quickly, look at verses 43 to 47. God's power is seen by others, it says. God's power is seen. They saw the things done through the apostles there. Uh, in verse 44 and 45, they, many are blessed as they saw love. That should happen as we're devoted to God's word. The, the, the sacrificial love is seen, this, this radical obedience, this servanthood to one another is seen and experienced by others. And then in verse 46, there's a joy, an incredible joy is experienced as God's truth is confirmed in our lives. And we seek each week to have a joyful worship experience. God's saving truth in Christ should lead us to feelings of great joy. And I hope you, you experience that in our worship sometimes. Despite the, the cares of life, God's people gather each week to first and foremost joyfully celebrate the reconciling work of Jesus Christ. That's why we gather every Sunday, to remind ourselves that no matter what's going on, <laughs> in the words of the Negro spiritual, trouble don't last always. There's a, there's a Sunday coming where it's going to be worship. That's going to be heaven. Verse 47, the last verse, last result is people repenting and believing. People repenting and believing. Coming that last word, the last word in this text is they were being saved. People were being delivered, saved from their sins. New life in Jesus Christ. Uh, John Stott says, um, we have a message that because of Jesus, we can offer the world two things. Forgiveness of sin and the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that what this chapter is all about? The forgiveness of sins, the presence and power of the Spirit. That's our message. But notice lastly, not only were they saved, they were added to the number. So the 3,120 kept growing. It, kept, it, it, it went beyond that as people daily, which meant it wasn't just proclamation on, on the Lord's Day. Daily, there was inter, in, these informal gatherings in the streets, in the homes, in the marketplace. Daily, people were coming to be saved and becoming part of this new body called the church, the called out ones in Jerusalem. Recently, I saw a movie, great movie, uh, called The Case for Christ. It's a true story of Lee Strobel, who was a, a journalist with the Chicago Tribune. But it, it's first and foremost, it's a story. The hero, in my mind, is a nurse. <laughs> her name was Alfie. That's her, Alfie. Um, one day, she and her husband were having lunch, were having dinner, and on a hunch, um, she said, let's not go to restaurant A, let's go to restaurant B. They went to this restaurant B, and at restaurant they, they, they're having their lunch, their dinner, and there's this couple, and the baby, the little girl, is, she starts choking her food. So as a nurse, Alfie just gives her the Heimlich lure because the parents, didn't know, they, were, they, they, they were freaking out, calling 911. She does the Heimlich lure, and, 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 and okay, it, 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 out it goes, and, I, and so there's real joy, okay? And it's, okay, well, who are you? So they, they begin, a conversation begins, and um, she tells this, these, this atheistic couple, I had planned on going to restaurant A, but we, something told us to go to restaurant B. It must have been Jesus. 
And they said, okay. And they not really. They didn't, they, didn't, they didn't have a category in their hearts and minds for that. But that began a relationship with Alfie and the, mother, and the, and the wife. But the story of Lee Strobel, Strobel is the father and, and it's his search for truth. But it's also a story of, of this, this woman, Leslie, his, his wife, feeling that indeed there must be a God if that God led this nurse to, save, to be there to save her daughter. And so she begins to pursue God. She comes to know Christ, be part of the church in Chicago. And most, but, you know, it's, 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 it's not just the story, therefore, of Lee Strobel and his faith. To me, is the story of his wife, Leslie, and her simple, newfound faith that, that persevered despite all the things that he put her and a daughter through, because in his mind, Jesus was destroying his home. So she had to persevere through that. And she did, and her faith melted her husband's heart as he began to search for the real facts about the resurrection of Christ. And in the end, spoiler alert, he became a believer in Jesus Christ. We want to always be the kind of church of disciples like Alfie, who follow the Spirit. A church where we regularly see that kind of disciple-making happening with our friends, families, co-workers, maybe strangers, I don't know, children, parents, but that will only happen if we maintain a devotion to the apostles' teachings that come from the heart of God through the pens of the inspired prophets and apostles. We're called the body of Christ. The writer of Hebrews says that, a that like a child, we need the milk of the word, and then as we grow spiritually, we progress to the meat of the word. Hebrews 5 and 6. A healthy human body needs food and drink. needs exercise each rest. We take in the drink. We take in scripture. We need exercise. We need to exercise is, is action, obedience to what we see in scripture. We also need rest. And what is rest? Rest is prayer and worship. It's those passive activities somewhat. Simply trusting, resting in God's grace and not our own activity. Food, exercise, and rest. Faith, let, let, let's continue to strive to be a healthy church, a healthy body. Let's eat and drink. Let's exercise. Let's rest in him. Let's continue to stay devoted to the apostles' teaching. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, in a time when a church is about to experience a transition of leadership, it's, it's a time where we begin to, to do self-analysis who we are, what we are, what do we believe, why am I part of this? Lord, I pray that during the, the season that is beginning for us, you would sink in each of our hearts the, the, the commitment, the devotion to your word as foundational to who we are as individuals and as a group. Lord, seal this word in our hearts. I pray for anyone who's here who needs to know you, who needs to repent and believe in Jesus, that you would draw by your spirit. And may all of us, Lord, love you and follow you all the days of our life, particularly in the days to come. In Jesus' name, amen.